when we survey retailers, uh, manufacturing companies, and consumer staple companies, they tell us they have the most pricing power ever by a very wide margin. On Wealth Track, our annual outlook from Ed Hyman, Wall Street's economist extraordinaire, hear his rare in-depth forecast on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. Funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, First Eagle Investment Management, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Since WealthTrack's beginnings, it's been an annual tradition to sit down for an in-depth interview with Ed Hyman, Wall Street's number one ranked economist for an unrivaled 41 years. Hyman is a Wall Street legend, known for his comprehensive yet succinct daily bullet point reports on the economy, covering multiple data points, including his team's proprietary company surveys. He is vice chairman of Evercore, a leading independent investment banking and advisory firm, where he is also the founder and chairman of its Evercore ISI division and leads its economic research team, which publishes what are considered to be must-read research by institutional investors all over the world. Last year at this time, the U.S. was emerging from lockdowns. Vaccines hadn't been distributed. COVID was resurfacing. Fatalities were up but the economy and markets were rebounding sharply. That was not a surprise to Hyman because of the massive amount of monetary and fiscal stimulus pouring into the economy. As a matter of fact, it was the major reason he predicted a year ago that 2021 would be a blowout year in terms of both economic and corporate earnings growth. I asked him if in retrospect, blowout was the right description. It's totally blowout. It's uh, totally unprecedented. It's much more than I ever expected. So you had the economy coming out of the uh, pandemic, and that was a very powerful force in and of itself. When you shut the economy down and then you open it up globally. And so that was an amazing force, which I really underestimated. And then at the same time, you had this huge fiscal stimulus with uh, $5 trillion in checks going to consumers. They spent the three of the $5 trillion. And the Fed was expanding its balance sheet like crazy. And it worked. That led to a big increase in the money supply, about 25%. 25%. And then that led to a huge increase in asset prices. House prices, Bitcoin, art, stock market, and then that together pushed the economy up. And so we've had an unprecedented year of growth. And when I say uh, growth, I'm almost every time we're discussing this, Consuelo, I'm talking about nominal growth. Stepping into it right now, the third quarter GDP increased year on year 10%. And that is unprecedented. It's never increased 10% for a full four quarters. And the fourth quarter is going to be more like 12%. It's a monster quarter that we're in right now. I've read your reports over the years. I don't remember you emphasizing the nominal part of this. And how much does that have to do with the fact that inflation has really ticked up? The question is, you know, why is inflation so hot? And this is the transitory time 
because the Fed is just moved away from transitory as a term for inflation. But inflation, inflation has gotten up to right. about six and a half for the consumer price index that most people would experience. And so there's a, a view by Milton Friedman that money times velocity, or just say money equals nominal GDP equals price and quantity. And so once you have the nominal GDP you know, supply demand determines whether it's how much is price and how much is quantity. And so I felt I had to mm -hmm. emphasize that to understand uh, what was going on. And of course, asset price inflation is all at all times nominal. You know, how much you pay for a painting or a stock is always a nominal decision. And so it, it seems to me as though uh, the Fed has expanded its balance sheet that created a big increase in the money supply, which wasn't a foregone conclusion. And then that has led to a surge in asset prices. And those three things together have led to a blowout year for GDP. In this case, pretty much real and nominal, but it's together that they are particularly special. 12% nominal GDP in the fourth quarter, year on year. And it, it could be like 15% at a quarter to quarter annual rate. Wow. When was the Never. last time we had growth like this? <laughs> I don't have the- <laughs> Never. I have a paper on uh, the first <laughs> look at monetary theory presented to the King of Poland in 1540. <laughs> but you know, going back, there's really no time when you've had this extreme nominal yeah. growth. You've had periods when inflation was higher than it is now, but the combination is really unprecedented. What does this set us up for, for 2022? This kind of unprecedented growth that we've had in both in the economy and also in asset prices. So, well, I'd like to stick with the things that got me here. First, we still have uh, some reopening in the economy coming. Looks to me as though we're maybe 60, 70% back to normal in terms of those people flying or dining out or going to theaters. Uh, and, and we actually measure that. We have a survey of 200 people we do every month. We ask them, are you comfortable going to a theater or eating inside and mm -hmm. like 80% comfortable eating outside, 50% inside and 20% going to a theater. So it's still, we're still not back to normal. And the Omicron, the new variant, will push that back some. Now, plus right. you're going into a period where the cases will go up naturally with the colder weather. We still you know, have plenty of reopening to do. There's been a new factor developed, which I didn't expect which are these supply chain problems. Mm -hmm. For example, car sales uh, have dropped from 17 million to 12 for one reason. They don't have the chips. They just don't have the cars to sell at the moment. And so that's a, a new force, but the first force and that one will be a lift for 2022. You're pretty well done with fiscal stimulus or if anything, there's less in 2022 than the end that the year that just ended, we had about 5 trillion in the year ended, and we'll probably have a 10th of that in 2022, but monetary, uh, stimulus works with a one and two year lag and the econometric work we do to try and forecast GDP finds that, uh, 
global short rates lead by one and two years. And so what you're seeing today, it's hard to reflect monetary policy a year ago. And so right. 2022 will certainly have a huge amount of monetary stimulus from that. And then you have reopening and some bottlenecks clearing up and then more than going into 2021, there is a huge wealth effect. Obviously the stock market itself about 20% and house prices are up about 20%. And so mm -hmm. you've had a, again, an unprecedented surge in wealth in this country. And frankly, in a lot of countries around the world, but sticking to here and that leads GDP growth by about a half year. So that's you know, making 2022 look like a pretty good year. I don't want to overdo it, but I'm just right. saying it looks pretty good. Uh, I'm expecting 7% nominal GDP, 4% real and 3% price. And we're not no. China. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe. I mean, they, these right. are Chinese figures. Right. These aren't well, US China's, figures. Yeah. Now we're growing much faster than, than China uh, at the moment. Mm -hmm. Trading places on that front. I'm intrigued by uh, inflation, Ed, and, and for a long time, people, monetarists who follow Milton Friedman were scratching their heads and saying, why hasn't inflation picked up? We've got this incredible growth in money supply. What was, what made the difference? We just put in more monetary stimulus. So in the Great Recession, we expanded the Fed's balance sheet by one trillion. In this episode, we've expanded it by four trillion. And the money growth <laughs> by 2010 was 8%, which seemed like a lot, and it was a lot. And it recently peaked out at 25%. So you, you can see there's an argument from that vantage point, but I think about inflation as part of a nominal picture. Uh, and if you have uh, mm -hmm. right now, money growth is 13%, all, all else equal, nominal GDP would be 13%. Actually, pretty close to that. And so if nominal GDP is 13%, you're going to have a lot of inflation because it's hard for the economy to grow in real terms that fast. And, and it turns out right. that at the same time you've had, you've had supply chain problems, in my opinion, that's why you've had such a big pop uh, in prices. And I would be totally remiss to not mention right off the bat labor because you can't get labor. And so I think one of the big stories for inflation in 2022 that wages accelerate significantly. And you can see it now, but at the low, low part, you know, the minimum wages coming up from 12 to 15 to 18 to 22. And then you've seen the highest paying jobs now starting to get bid up. The unions, John Deere had what might be uh, the seminal event in labor for the decade. They got a 40% pay increase for in one year. Mm -hmm. So, Ed, what I'm inferring from all of this is that inflation is, this is real, and it doesn't sound transitory to me. Um, it certainly no longer seems transitory to Jerome Powell and, and the Fed. So what's your assessment of the impact of, of accelerating tapering and, and also accelerating the timetable for, for raising so interest rates? I'm always trying to go where the puck is going. And I wrote this week that uh, CP CPI, headline inflation, YY, probably peaked in November. Year over year, it peaked in November. 6.7%. Okay. So I thought it was you know, probably poetically interesting in that it's the same time that Powell threw in the towel of transit. I don't think it's going to come down very much. 
at 6.7%, it's just not sustainable. Right. And, and commodity prices are now down about 10%, just watching the numbers. And then there's a chance that people have been doing double ordering on mm -hmm. prices. And so I think that it may be peaking and supply chain problems by every measure have gotten a little bit better. That said, we still have, I think, a, a very serious wage uh, inflation going on and a bit of a wage price spiral. And when we survey right. retailers, manufacturing companies, and consumer staple companies, they tell us they have the most pricing power ever by a very wide margin. I'm sure this is true. They can pass uh, increased cost, both the labor and materials cost along. And then you have rent, which is tied at the hip to house prices. And, and mm -hmm. they're just starting to go up. So I think inflation uh, will you know, continue to be high. I would think it would settle down closer to 3% than to 2%. The Fed's been holding out for two. And, but moving on to your question, if inflation settles out at three, what's the Fed gonna do? They're moving. So I assume the Fed will just keep moving along. And I can feel in my own thought process, they had core inflation in Korea this morning up 3.4%. And I thought, well, that's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's relative, Ed. <laughs> and so, so I can see where we're going to have a discussion about, well, why did we pick 2%? It, it's, it, three isn't like, you know, five or six. So Ed, I, I'm thinking to myself, given everything that you told me about the inflationary forces that are in the economy, is that why are we even settling on 3%? Should it be higher? This is a judgmental call for sure. And a lot of the things that I do, I view as just interpolating what's already happening. Like I see commodity prices go down and leads me to think that the year-on-year -year change in the CPI will slow down. But the 3%, mm -hmm. I still see as does almost everybody, that they're very strong factors holding back inflation, technology being the biggest one. But you also have competition and then you have globalization. And so my guess is that inflation, you know, peaks around six or seven and then works its way back down toward three. The things that keep it higher in my mind is we have a more generous monetary policy, a more generous fiscal policy. This is uh, yeah, sort of modern monetary theory. And then we have green inflation, uh, the inflation coming from trying to deal with climate change, which is going to be very expensive. Right. Uh, and that was my first uh, foray in this business as an economist was 1970s. We spent a lot of money fixing up the air and water, and that was really added to inflation. But those mm -hmm. three things I think will keep inflation a little bit higher, but my having lived through the seventies doesn't feel exactly like it has some similarities to it. But your question is, is very important for the Fed, obviously, and it's very important for Biden. So this this, this is going to be front and center right. in the twenty twenty two elections and the twenty twenty four elections. And the question is what do policymakers do about it? And there's really nothing I can think of on the fiscal side, they're not going to raise taxes. And so it's really up to Federal Reserve. And I, more than almost anybody else uh, you'll talk to, I'm a believer that monetary policy takes one and two years to impact. 
but let's just start with one year. So the Fed first has to get to a restrictive policy stance, which is debatable, but at least you sort of what the right metric is. And I would say a uh, Fed funds rate of 4%, maybe three, but three or 4% would be restrictive. And once you get there, it takes a year for it to impact. At this point, I get a big headache. So this is, <laughs> it takes so, it takes so long to get there. And all that time is more time for wage price spirals to develop. But we have some time and maybe some of the forces like technology will work and supply chain will help a little bit as they ease and my prices and like I mentioned, we'll come back to it on China, but we think that China is going to report its first decline in the PPI. Uh, Producer price index. Uh-huh. And that would sort of indicate that maybe there's some easing of inflation over there. 2022 is going to be an X year. Fill out the X for me. You made me take either fair, good, or great. I'd probably put good or good or great. I think it could be a very good year. And one of the things that is lost in the discussion of economics is that inflation for most parts of the economy is viewed as a very good thing. I'm sure the union workers at John Deere, when they got their 40% pay increase, they thought it was a very good thing right. to have happen. And if Netflix can raise the price of its subscribers, et cetera, both wages are good for workers and prices are good for uh, corporate profits. So just like we had in 2021, a strong year for nominal GDP and the corporate profits in the third quarter, one behind us, increased at an 18% annual rate and 19% year on year. So let's say 20% sequentially are year on year. And getting to the point, if profits are that good, it's probably good for the stock market. As long as I think earnings are going to go up. And coming to that point right now, I feel very strongly that earnings are going to go up. So I see 2022 as being a chapter in an expansion that'll probably be well above average. So Ed, which leads me to the one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. And to be fair, to give you the credit where credit is due, a year ago, you recommended Apple. It's up 35% since then. And Lennar was, is up 49% since then. So how are you going to top that, my friend? <laughs> That's well, I've known you too long. And there's a huge amount of luck in these. And we had a 20% increase in the stock market. But I, I'm going to disappoint you. And I just, I mm -hmm. thought about this. I have to have more than, than one. So Apple, I still like. I like it less because it's up so much. And it's definitely one of the favorite investments of institutional investors. I really think that your viewers should be exposed to technology. That's the message I would have. And they could then figure mm -hmm. out how, but I would add to my Apple position, Amazon. It's been an underperformer. And then on Ladar, I still think the economy is going to be good. And housing is maybe the leadership role in that. And so I'm going to stick with Lennar uh -huh. for a second year. And then I thought that for a, a long-term diversified portfolio, you have to have healthcare. And so I'd like to, I'd like to add Pfizer uh, to the mix, which is a stock that we favor. I have an economy sensitive, I've got technology and healthcare. You've got a little portfolio for us, Ed. I'll take it. 
Thanks, Ed, Thank for you. joining us once again for an in-depth discussion with you about the economy. It is always so enlightening. Thanks, Ed. My pleasure. At the close of every Wealth Talk, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is recognize the power of the stimulus that is already in the system. As Hyman's research shows, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet increased by $4 trillion to almost $9 trillion in 2021. It's still there. Federal government outlays increased $3 trillion to $7 trillion in 2021. It is still working its way through the economy, and there is more to come. What I said this time last year after interviewing Hyman remains valid today, just with another year of stimulus added. The impact of record amounts of monetary and fiscal stimulus from 2020 and 2021 will continue to be felt in 2022. Barring some black swan event, that means the economy should continue to expand. Corporate profits should be strong and they will support stock prices. There is always plenty to worry about, but investing in stocks according to your financial plan should continue to be a sound strategy. Well, next week we sit down with another investment legend. In a rare interview, great investor Bill Miller will join us to discuss some of his favorite stocks. In this week's extra feature, the secret to Ed Hyman's ability to be voted Wall Street's number one economist for 41 years. If you are so inclined, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a wonderful weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.